Yeah, Father, we uh, we want we want that, um, and we believe that knowing and loving you um, and making your love known, uh, whether it's as a stay-at-home mom or as a overseas missionary, um, as an engineer, as a teacher, as a student, um, we believe that life is available to us because of what you've done, Jesus. We believe your spirit is present and powerful with us, among us, um, to, to lead us into uh, living that kind of life. Not, not in perfection, but in direction. So I pray that our, the rest of our time together would be helpful towards that end. And we trust that your word will provide um, help and trust that you will move. And Daddy, uh, we, we continue our worship of you now. We, we acknowledge you're just absolutely worthy of, of more than we are bringing, more than we can bring. You're worthy of it all. Even when we don't feel you, <laughs> uh, that doesn't change your worthiness. We pray uh, that our lives would be put in submission to your word, to your ways, your purposes. And we, we believe there's joy there. It's not this death to self and, uh, you know, grin and bear it type of life. But it, there's, there is joy in following you, Jesus. So as we, as we look at your teaching, as we continue to track through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, today, Lord, you know, but I'm telling this to everyone else, we're, we're going to enter this passage where it talks about do not worry, and we just want to open up ourselves to you. We want to be real with you about the things that are pressing on us, the things that we're either tempted to worry about or that we straight up have been worried and anxious about um, so talk to God, uh, use this silence to talk to him about those things in your own life, what you're bringing today. I just want to repeat that offer of blessing from Psalm 34. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in the Lord. It's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to, to be okay and to be doing well. Um, but, but we want to seek you, God. Just like we sang earlier. Uh, as long as you are glorified. 
So we come and we, we believe uh, you will meet us in the midst of wherever we are this morning. And uh, we acknowledge this struggle with worry is a universal struggle. And we don't have to struggle without direction or motivation. This, this struggle can be meaningful. So help us now. Amen. So when Rose and I were members at River Community Church, the, the church that planted us and uh, really helped us get started, um, we taught second and third graders and fourth and fifth grade classes. Uh, and, and those experiences were really, really great, really helpful. And one of the things that I personally loved about teaching older kids was they just had this tendency to ask really good, really hard questions. I mean, questions that we all probably have thought of, or sometimes we don't think of, but they're not afraid to ask. So in particular, one time I I was asked a question that in my mind, I can't remember if the, the kid brought up this passage, but it's the passage we're reading today that was brought up in my mind because they said something like, God promises to take care of those who trust in him, right? And I thought about this Matthew 6 passage today, and I was like, yeah, it seems pretty clear that God does promise to take care of those who put their trust in him. Not that they'll, not, you know, God's not promising like everything they want, but to take care of them, to give them what they need. And then that kid went on, well, what about people who like trust God, but they die of hunger and they suffer in miserable ways like that? Does that prove that they're not really God's people or like what's going on? I was like, oh man, I really don't remember what I said, which is probably good because I'm guessing back, I'm guessing my best answer would have been, I really don't know. Good question. We're going to circle back to that question because although that's a big, hairy question, Matthew, the gospel that we've been just tracking through and studying, Matthew was not written to answer that question. Matthew was written to answer a bigger question. So I want to refresh on our study starting, or that we started in February, and we saw this theme of fulfillment, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's purposes and promises. Because the bigger question, honestly, if you read through the Old Testament, and I mean, just put yourself in the, in the position of a Jew in Jesus' day, uh, first century Jew, with all that history, you know, like in your back pocket and the scriptures in your hand, you have all these promises and all these purposes of God. And the bigger question would be like, what is God doing? Because it's gone downhill, like it's spiraling downward and and it just keep, has kept spiraling down and down and down. And then you have that 400 years of silence after, you know, like the time period of Nehemiah, uh, historically like the end of the uh, what we call the Old Testament and they're just been, they've just been waiting and 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 so then Matthew when we turn in our New Testament and we start in Matthew there's this beautiful theme of fulfillment that all of God's promises and purposes as Paul would say in second Corinthians are yes and amen in Jesus they, they are fulfilled and uh, yeah. That's, that's the point of the biblical story, but it's the point of our lives as well. We only find lasting, meaningful fulfillment, the type of fulfillment that we're all longing for. We only find that in right relationship with Jesus. 
And that's, that's just Matthew in a minute for us. So uh, if we want to live in the way of Jesus, now that we know that's, that's the fulfilling way, we need to listen to him. And so that's really been my heart and I hope our heart together as we've spent three months uh, already just slowly walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We need to listen to him. So let's continue our listening today as we read Matthew 6, uh, beginning in verse 24. And if uh, you're not familiar with this passage, just remember the question that the fourth grader asked me um, about God promises to take care of his people, right? Just, just kind of have that question in, in the background of your mind as you read this passage. Um, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these lilies. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So this is the last passage in chapter 6, and and we've categorized chapter 6 as internal training to live the life that Jesus presented in chapter 5. I mean, to me, it just, as I've studied it, it just makes sense. Uh, Jesus lays out what kingdom life looks like in chapter 5, and then in chapter 6, he tells you very practical ways of how to move towards it. Uh, He gives us training exercises, like we think of push-ups and sit-ups and squats, you know, whatever. Uh, Those are all training exercises, and he gives us giving, prayer, and fasting in chapter 6. Those are training exercises to live kingdom life. They they don't earn kingdom life, but it's, it's a way to exert effort to enjoy the kingdom life that Jesus has brought. And, and, and Jesus is very clear. He's like, uh, make sure you're not doing your training to impress other people. That, that's, otherwise, that, that's all that your training will bring about. Don't do it for the praise of men, but for the praise of God. And last week, we saw Jesus is teaching us, as we train, here's how we should think. We should think long-term, not storing up treasures here on earth, like the praise of men, which won't last, but store up treasures in heaven. That, that does last. So think long term. And then think about how you're thinking. What, what, are you, what are you seeing in your life? Is it in line with what's real and true? Jesus said it this way, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are bad, then you're just really not very well off. Your whole body is full of darkness. 
So, and then he, he concluded with verse 24, we serve whatever we treasure. So that, that's a little recap of last week. And this week, I believe he's continuing to form our internal training, how, how we think with, a, it's a very simple point. Um, it's just one, it's a one point message today. So make sure you get it, right? It's right here. Don't worry. And I want you to see where I'm getting it from. Here's, here's my work. Here's where I'm getting it from. Next slide. There you go. In the red, in the red is where Jesus says, don't worry. Three times in what we call 10 verses. And everything else around that, like when he talks about the birds, when he talks about the flowers, everything else around that is, is kind of window dressing. I mean, it's, it's, it's important. It's good. Uh, it's worth reflecting on. But if you start thinking about the birds and the flowers without connecting it to his main point, you're, you're, you're out of context. <laughs> that's, that's the context. And he uses the word therefore twice. In some translations, three times. That so do not worry is other times translated therefore do not worry. And therefore is a very important word because um, you need to know why it's there, what it's there for. Um, and and th- again, it's all of this is pointing to this is Jesus' point. A simple point. Don't worry. It's really easy to say. It's really hard to live by. And I've experienced periods of progress where there's more and more peace in my life. And I've experienced periods of regress, which means uh, I'm living by panic and not peace. So um, the opposite of worry is, I, it helps me because Jesus is giving us a command that's a negative. It helps me to put it in the positive. If, if we were to not worry, what would it look like? One word came to mind for me, which is relaxed. And I'm not talking about like Father's Day, post-church afternoon nap on your lazy boy. That's one picture of relaxed. But um, being relaxed in Jesus, being relaxed in Christ. And uh, what makes that especially difficult, I think, for us is uh, it doesn't always look the same. Like trusting God, relaxing in him sometimes looks like the lazy boy Sunday afternoon nap. And, and especially, I think a great biblical picture of this is Sabbath. Sabbath is not doing nothing. I, I want to repeat that. That's a lot of negatives. But Sabbath is not doing nothing. Sabbath is stopping your work. It is resting. Which for me, and I, I would encourage you if you're, if you're new to Sabbath, like do take a nap or do make sure that you're getting plenty of sleep that day. Uh, live your Sabbath on purpose too, but don't make it like I have to do all of these things. It's, it's delighting. It's, doing, it's eating good food. It's enjoying good company. And it's also contemplating, thinking about your life, being grateful for the life God's given you, being grateful for your relationship with God, your relationships with others. So trusting God and Sabbathing or resting like that, that that's, a way of, that's a way of relaxing in Jesus. That's a way of not worrying. Um, and earlier this year, uh, this is pretty fun for me, I got connected with a friend and acquaintance from college uh, and he 
uh, shortly after we got connected, he, he, not because of me, but he, he's just a curious mind and he wanted to read the Bible. He read the Bible in like eight months. And when I asked him after he finished, uh, what stood out, he was like, I'm not really, he's like, Jesus taught some good things and some horrible things, which I can tell you the story later of what he thought was horrible. But this section, he actually talked about this section of scripture and he said, I'm not a big fan of how Jesus says, like, don't work hard. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. So that's not what Jesus is saying here. So this is part of the difficulty of like, Learning to not worry is learning what it means to live relaxed in Christ. And Jesus is not saying, don't care. Just stay in your lazy boy. You know, like, it it doesn't matter when you show up to work. It doesn't matter, you know, like, how you engage your family. He's not saying that at all. Absolutely, we should care. But we just need to care as we remember how much God cares. (laughs) He's way more than us. He's, He's powerful, way more powerful than us. So, He's, Jesus isn't teaching avoid responsibility, but I just, I just want to acknowledge that there's this tension of what does it mean to trust God? And uh, sometimes people say things like, oh, we just need to let go and let God. And I don't know what you mean by that. I mean, you, you just kind of have to unpack those Christian cliches uh, so that we really understand um, what we're saying. <laughs> And because another expression of trust, of relaxing in Christ, is to work as hard as you can. And so using the Sabbath example, uh, this, is the, this is the normal way to trust God. A- according to like the Old Testament, is six days a week you work. But recognize that you can work as hard as you can with or without trusting God. So, so it's not as simple as do this, don't do this. This whole don't worry thing, we, we really need to engage our heart because that's what Jesus has been targeting the whole Sermon on the Mount. So here's, here's an illustration that helped me when it comes to like, am I, am I working hard and trusting God? And it might be a silly illustration, but think about your work and the, the, what fills up the time in your life and uh, think about it as, uh, leaves every fall they fall off the tree in your work are, do you try to pick up the leaves and tape them back up on the tree you know what I'm saying and then they just all fall down and oh, it's, you're perpetually upset and frustrated or do you see do you see work as you know this is this is a season where the leaves fall and it's it's hard I, d- I don't like I don't like the leaves being off the branches but I know <laughs> that faithfulness is rake up the leaves, put them in a bag, get rid of them. I love those they're beautiful leaves, right? I love them in the fall. They turn colors. But there's no point in trying to keep them because they're just going to go. Um, and, then, and then God brings new leaves in a new season. So trusting God, not worrying, can look all these different ways. And, and my point in all of this in, in trying to tease out this tension is to know the time and the place we've got to listen to the voice, the voice of the Father. To know what faithfulness is, you must listen to his voice. And so, 
here's, here's what Jesus says. Uh, he gives us some things to do, which are incredibly helpful for me. Uh, he only gives us two actions I see to take in this passage. And the first one we saw last week is serve God. Don't serve money. Don't serve anything else in your work, in your life. Make sure that you are doing what you're doing to serve God. And then the second verb is seek. This is really helpful because not worrying, tr- trying to not worry is like trying to not think about a pink elephant, right? Once, once someone says, don't think about a pink elephant, you're like, right, you, you start thinking about it. So Jesus, in his brilliance, he gives us a positive command and not just a negative one. He says, don't worry, but serve God and seek. And I believe that verse 33, where he says, seek the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. We, we're not going to have the spiritual eyes to see <laughs> the latter part of him giving us all these things if we're not doing the seeking part, the first part. So if we seek him, we won't be disappointed. That doesn't mean we're going to get everything we ask for. But, I, but look, look, at what, look at what Jesus tells us to seek. He says, seek the kingdom. And if you've been around since the start of this, I just, wanna, I just want to remind you, how does Jesus start the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. There's a lot of kingdom talk at the beginning of chapter 5. Verses 3 to 16. I mean, the Beatitudes are kind of, framed with like the first blessing is the kingdom the last blessing is the kingdom and then uh uh he also says seek his righteousness which the last half of chapter five jesus defines kingdom righteousness for us remember anger remember when we talked about lust divorce swearing retaliation loving our enemies this is Jesus unpacking righteousness. So when, I love Matthew six thirty three, and if you haven't memorized it or really spent time with it, man, that's a great way to spend time with God this week. You can just pick a verse for your time alone with God. Just pick a verse and just go over and over and over it in your mind. Um, but that's a great verse. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. But too often, I think we can pull these verses out and forget Jesus is brilliant, and he is hearkening back to what he talked about before. And what's in between these two big ideas of kingdom and righteousness is Matthew 5, 17 through 20. So I, I kind of did some highlighting again. The red shows some attachment to righteousness. The bold is the reference to the kingdom. So this is nothing new that Jesus is introducing in 633, but he's, he's, he's saying... Uh, you know, everything I told you, seek that life. Seek the kingdom. Seek my righteousness. So I want to remind us, because I think this verse is so incredibly important. And even if you don't really connect to it, um, it's just a link in the chain until the day that you see the significance of uh, what, Jesus, what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount. So don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, Jesus said. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. He says, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So obedience in terms of righteousness, 
and kingdom of heaven. They're attached. But anyone who, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the, the most, you know, like highly thought of among men, religious people of the day, spiritual people of the day, you won't even enter unless you surpass their righteousness. Meaning you need to listen to what Jesus's righteousness is and how he unpacks it the rest of chapter five. So, man, Jesus is very much implying that you can do something about your experience in his kingdom. You can be great, you can be least. It depends on your choice to practice and teach the fulfillment of the law. And just to be clear, I don't believe in, and Jesus doesn't promote works righteousness. This is righteousness that works, my friends. It's not works righteousness where you have to do things in order to earn good favor with God. Not at all. But Jesus' righteousness that is freely given, it works out in our lives. It's his righteousness at work in us. So it's not do good in order to get good. It's you've been made good in Christ. Therefore, you're expected to do good. You now have the power to do good like you never had before. As you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, again, by practicing what he said and teaching others to do the same, this really helps me. This, this really helps me. If I've lost you, this, this helps me. Jesus is a realist when it comes to worry, okay? He's not an idealist. He is connected to the human experience, fully human, okay? He says each day has enough trouble of its own. So this whole command, don't worry, again, doesn't mean, you know, live a life where there's nothing to worry about. Just choose not to worry about it. Jesus' teaching, when he says, do not worry, it actually means you will be tempted to worry. It also means you do not have to worry. You can feel worried, okay? But you can choose to not act on those feelings. When you feel worried and you choose to not worry, you're living in victory. You do not sin when you feel anxious. Because your faith, your confidence, is not based on how you're feeling. And Jesus is after your faith. He's not calling us to rebuke each other for our feelings. I've really been struggling. Well, quit struggling. There's victory in Jesus. No, that's terrible anthropology and it's really bad theology too. He's calling us to put our faith, our confidence in the facts. So this is an incredibly helpful picture to me. It's the facts of who God is that we put our confidence in. We attach our confidence to those facts. The feelings lag behind. <laughs> they, they don't define our faith. We acknowledge the feelings are there. The feelings affect us. But we need to choose to not live out of how we're feeling. Sometimes how we're feeling is in line with the facts. But they don't determine the facts. The facts get to determine what's true and what's not. So you can feel something really strongly and say yes in faith because it aligns with the facts. You can feel something really strongly and as hard as it is, you can say no 
because it does not align with the facts. But again, the way to trust is to listen to the voice. Listen to your father's voice. Jesus' teaching is don't worry or stated positively, relax. And if you know me, I'm not speaking as one who's mastered this. But Jesus also knows each of us that he ends with this. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That is not a, that's not a disclaimer that like levels out everything else he just said. Well, you know, it's really hard. So it, you know, like, you know, it's not that important that you don't worry. No, <laughs> it's important that we learn to relax and trust God. And you can tackle the trouble of each day in a relaxed manner. That's what Jesus is promoting here. The way to do that, I think, is what the window dressing, all those beautiful illustrations he uses, what that's all about, is remember God's goodness. Just spend some time watching, watching the birds fly. Spend some time looking at the flowers. And think about Solomon, who was the wisest and wealthiest king in all the world, and he didn't have clothes as nice as the flowers do. How much more does God care about us? So I want to end. I want to end with the question I started with: um, How could God promise to take care of those who seek Him? You know, seek first the kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things, like He mentioned, clothes and food, very essential things. Um, all these things will be given to you as well. He says. He says, "All people of the world seek after these things. Your Father knows you need them, so don't worry." But how can terrible things happen to people who are seeking the kingdom and Jesus' righteousness? I have a few answers. I don't have the answer. First, there's some mystery here. Um, And we need to acknowledge um, there's mystery in this question. We also need to acknowledge that the way that God uses his sovereignty, meaning his control of everything, is he chooses to share it. And so we have some responsibility when people go hungry. God has chosen to use people to sustain his world. And people, he's, he's chosen to give people the freedom to do, to do evil things for a time. And so we, I'm not like putting the hunger of the world, I don't believe Jesus is putting the hunger of the world like on us or on you or on me. But just know that we all have a part to play. So that there, there's one answer, is we all have a part to play. So we must listen to the Father's voice to know our part and play our part. And uh, another answer is that God does care. Um, God's promise to take care of those who seek him, um, he cares deeply, and that's where the promise is coming from. God is not unjust. Hebrews 6 says, he won't forget your works and the love that you've shown him in helping his people. Another answer which I find most compelling is when Jesus says in the same passage, he says, isn't life more than food? And Jesus claimed, he, he said, I am the life. And he didn't just say it, he did show and tell, right? He, he, show, he told and then he showed by, by trusting his father would take care of him even to the point of death. I, I want you to connect that. How can God promise to take care of people who seek him? And here's Jesus who sought him perfectly. 
who obeyed the voice perfectly to the point of death. And there's more to life than what we see. There's more to life than just this life. There is a life, Jesus said, which will never taste death. And we can start that life right now by repenting and believing. So if you're here today and uh, you, want, you want to follow Jesus, um, you, you trust his death has covered your sins, you, you trust that he's risen from the dead and that he is alive and able to lead you, uh, just tell God, I'm, I'm tired of living my life my way. I want to turn and trust you with my whole life. And then most of us here have already done that, right? We've already made that decision. Guess what? We don't, we, we cannot forget about that life. Don't spiritually starve yourself. We need to keep repenting and keep believing. So let's pray. Daddy, we, uh, we all come needing to hear your voice. And, and we've heard you today. <laughs> you said, don't, carry, don't, don't worry, don't worry. You said that you cared deeply and you told us to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. And so we just want to give you some silent space um, to specify for us how are you asking me to trust you and we know that you speak in love and we know that you speak specifically as you as you listen i'm going to give us some time to just listen if you don't hear anything just make sure your heart is oriented to say yes it doesn't matter if as much, it doesn't matter as much if you hear specifically what's next, but it matters that your heart says yes before you know the question. That's the type of heart Jesus is after. So how are you asking us to trust you? We say yes.
thank you for being a God who is present, powerful, who's, who speaks and is active outside of just this hour and this place. Um, so we ask for ears to hear as we leave and hearts that are continually oriented to obey, that we'd quickly repent once we realize that we're not, we're not oriented to obey. Thank you for your great promise that you do take care and that we, we do have no need to worry because you care so deeply for us. We love you, Father. Amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great Sunday.